We've already answered the first three questions about uh, what the human heart drawn towards, what are three negative qualities, and what's the new kind of radiance. A recent this. study done of non-Christians in the United States, 84% said they knew at least one Christian personally, but only 15% of that group thought that that believer's lifestyle was significantly different than their own. Paul's main point in Romans 2, which we're going to study today, is that religion by itself, apart from the gospel, is powerless to change people's lives. If anything, it makes them worse. Paul's main point at the end of chapter 1, if you recall, was that every human being ever born has this in common. They have rejected God, either by despising His glory or disobeying Him. And Paul knows that many people at that point are going to say, well, yeah, but isn't that where religion comes in to make us better? Specifically, he knows that a lot of his Jewish readers listened to chapter 1 and thought, well, yeah, Paul, those ungodly Romans are pretty messed up. You tell them. It's a good thing we have the Jewish religion, the Jewish laws to keep us straight. So in Romans 2, Paul unpacks why religion, apart from Christ, cannot help us. Religious obedience, he's going to say, is just a, a thin veneer of righteousness that is papered over a heart that is every bit as sinful as the biggest pagan in the world. Religion by itself is powerless to change the, the, the loves of our hearts. It might clean up our behaviors a little bit on the outside, but it cannot transform our hearts on the inside. By the way, I think this will help you. Every time you see Paul use the word law in this chapter, just read that as any religious rule. Whatever commands you're trying to obey to be a good person. And every time you see the word Jew in this chapter, just substitute religious person for that. Because that's who Paul is really talking about here. Paul is showing us that any religious devotion, apart from Christ, is powerless to correct the problem of human sinfulness. The law, religious laws of whatever type, cannot change our hearts. Look at the first verse, therefore. Now that word therefore indicates that Paul is pointing backwards to chapter 1. He said, because the posture of every human heart is one of rejection of God, every one of you, he says, who judges is also without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things that those pagans do. Paul's saying, you religious people, you think you're better because you know the Bible and you curb some of your sinful behavior, but God sees your heart. And you may never have bowed down to an idol, but you have treasured other things in your heart more than God. You may not have committed adultery with your body, but you have committed it in your heart. You may never have physically murdered somebody, but you hated them in your heart and, and you've wished for their harm. Your heart, religious person, just like that of a non-religious person, is drawn to disobedience, Paul says. And truth is, you try to get away with things every place you can. If we look closely at your thoughts and your words and your actions, we're not going to see somebody who, who from the heart loves God and desires His commands. We're going to see somebody who is drawn to sin. And be assured, Paul says, verse 6, God will repay each one according to His works. Verse 7, giving eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality. In other words, you're not just doing righteous things, you're doing righteous things because you love God. You're seeking, you're actually seeking those things. Verse 8 says, but he's going to give wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobeying the truth. Paul is saying that it's not merely doing right that counts with God. You have to do right for the right reason. Right. Now, really quickly, some people read verse 6 and they get confused where Paul says God is going to repay each one according to his works, eternal life to those you know, who, who persist in 
and, and, and doing good. And they say, well, it sounds like Paul is saying that we save ourselves by our good works. Didn't Paul just get done explaining in chapter 1 that salvation cannot be earned through good works, but it's given as a, a gift by faith alone? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. I'm glad you're paying attention. Paul is not saying in verse 6 that some people can be good enough to escape the curse of sin. His point is that God judges the heart. And that while some people give an external show of religion that's impressive, internally they're still filled with wickedness. If they did live righteous enough to merit heaven, from the, live that way from the heart, God would not withhold heaven from them, but none of them actually do. External practices of religion, he's telling these religious people, do not equal inward transformation. That's his main point here. When it's all said and done, on that final day, God is going to look beyond the outward performance of our lives to the inward motivations of our hearts. Some works that look really good on the surface are not really going to look that good when you really get down to the motives for why they were done. That's what he's saying there in verses 6 and 7. A quick little illustration of this. Charles Spurgeon told a story about an ancient English king who, who one day had a carrot farmer show up in his court with a, a huge carrot, the biggest carrot that the king had ever seen. This poor little farmer said, okay, when I harvested this carrot, I knew that it was deserving of a king. So I'm bringing it to you to honor you. You've been a great king. You've been just and you've been fair. And, and, and your laws have helped me prosper. And so I want to give this to you as an offering to say I'm thankful. Well, the king was, was moved by this offering. And he said, you know, I happen to own all the land next to your little farm. I'm going to give you 300 more acres. Well, one of the king's noblemen was standing there and he thought, wow, if the king would give 300 acres in response to a carrot, Imagine what he'd give in response to a real gift. So that night, the nobleman went out and, 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 and bought the finest horse he could find in all of England. And he trotted it in the next day to the king's court and said, Oh, king, when I saw this horse, I knew it was deserving of the king, and I want to give it to you from your humble servant. Well, the king, who was pretty wise, knew that the nobleman was giving the horse to him only to get something from him. He said, Yesterday, the carrot farmer was giving the carrot to me. Today, you are giving the horse to yourself. Doing good deeds is not enough, Paul says. You have to do them for the right reason. Good deeds done to earn heaven or to get blessings or obtain rewards from God or good deeds that are done to impress others, they don't really count as good in the eyes of God because they're selfishly motivated. Paul says only, only good works that come from the right heart counts with God. Paul is saying his point in all of this is that when you look closer at the religious heart, what you're going to see is that a lot of people who did really righteous things didn't do them out of love for God. They did them out of love for something else. Furthermore, Paul says, nobody has ever even lived up to their own righteous standards. No matter what they said about their lives, if you look closely, they didn't live up to their own righteous standards, whatever they were. Our problem, Paul explains in, in verses 12 through 24, is not that we don't know enough about the law. It's that we don't obey the parts we do know. Paul, verse 14, says that even the Gentiles who, who've never seen a Bible, they still have a law, one that God wrote on their hearts. Even though they've never read a Bible, they have a sense of what is right and wrong, and they fail to live up to that standard of right and wrong. Francis Schaeffer had a great little illustration for this. He said, imagine you had a little recorder around your neck, invisible, that only recorded you when you said the word ought or should. Whenever you said he ought to, she ought to, they should, I should, and then on Judgment Day, God judged you only by the things that you said that others ought to have done or, or should do. All of us, all of us, Francis Schaeffer said, would stand condemned by our own standard. 
Our problem is not fundamentally an ignorance problem, it's an obedience problem. All of us fail to live up to whatever standards we espouse for what a good person is. Furthermore, Paul says, far from correcting the problem religion, religion, when we get urban, usually just makes it worse. It makes us proud, hypocritical, and judgmental. In chapter 2, Paul identifies three negative qualities that religion without the gospel produces in people. The first one is a critical spirit. Religious people are quick to pass judgment. Uh, verse 1, religious people are quick to find faults in others because, well, they do that naturally because they want to show that they're better than others. A religious person's whole strategy for being accepted by God is being better than other people. Mm. So they're quick to find fault and pass judgment on others. Mm -hmm. Hypocrisy is the second negative thing Paul points to in verse 21. He says, you, the ones who teach and judge, you practice the very same things that you forbid in others. Mm. Religion makes people hide their faults, sometimes even hiding them from themselves. That's because inwardly they need to maintain this outward appearance of togetherness. While inwardly, raging in their heart are the very simple passions they despise in others. And often in secret, when nobody sees, they mm. practice the very same things. Insecurity, that's your third um, uh, negative thing that, that religion produces at all points to. At the root of these things, surprisingly, is insecurity. Religious people are insecure that they've been accepted by God. And because of that, they always have this nagging question, have I done enough? And that makes us insecure, which makes us more critical and more hypocritical. The whole premise of religion, which is if I obey enough, I will be accepted, leads not to healing, it leads to despair and pride and hypocrisy and hate and all the other bad things that go along with that. The law cannot heal our sinfulness. It can't remove our insecurity. It can only reveal our sinfulness. The law is like railroad tracks. It points you in the direction that you should go, but it is powerless to move the freight along the tracks. What we need, Paul says, is heart change. You see, this is a, a big theme in Romans. God is not just looking for obedience. He's looking for a whole new kind of obedience, an obedience that grows out of desire, an obedience that comes instinctively, an obedience where you seek righteousness because you crave righteousness, an obedience where you pursue God because you love God, not because you're commanded to. That kind of change can't come from the law, no matter how perfect that law is. Paul's conclusion, verse 28, for a person is not a Jew or a Christian who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. Verse 29, circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not the letter. Circumcision was an outward sign of the Jewish covenant. In those days, before modern standards of cleanliness, not being circumcised led to a lot of disease. So in circumcision, you were removing a source of, of filthiness at the very point of new life. That's all I'm going to say about that, all right? Okay. You'll understand it. Okay. I'm going to explain all this to you in more detail. Paul's point is just like inward resolution to do better can't change the human heart, neither can religious rituals. Religious rituals, like circumcision, are external things unable to change the true nature of the heart. No religious ritual, not baptism, not communion, not going to church, not taking a pilgrimage, not circumcision. No religious ritual can change your heart. To change the heart, we need something more powerful than religion. We need inward transforming grace. Yeah, yeah. And that change cannot come from the law, from more instructions about what we ought to do. What we need is the power to do it. 
And that can only come from what Paul says is a circumcision, not of the flesh, but of the heart. And that's only given by the gospel and the power of the Spirit. So here's my question I want us to end with. How are you attempting to change your heart? Maybe you're in this study because you think you just need to buckle down and, and try harder. How many times do you have to go through this process of inward resolution to change only to be followed by frustration and failure before you're ready to receive the truth that you can't change yourself. Only God can change you. Friend, religion won't work. Whatever religion you're talking about, only the gospel, which turns religion on its head, only the gospel can. Our only hope is the transforming power of Christ through the cross and resurrection. More on that in chapter 3. J.D. Greer. I love him. Yeah, he has a good way of explaining things. Very. As I was just telling my sister, he, he explains things where I understand. Refresher from where we're at from last week. And uh, so if somebody wants to read verses 1 and 2, we'll start with that question number 2. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest, another thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judges doesn't the same things. Because your Bible says something different. Your Bible puts it in a different way. No, this is a King James Bible. What, oh, is, okay. your, what is yours? King James. Because mm -hmm. some of my I get lost because we all have different Bibles. Yeah, well, I understand. So. I understand when they read the when they read the NIV, I, the King James is automatically here, so I know what it's talking about. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but some people get confused. But we are and, uh, sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Mm -hmm. So in verses 1 and 2, how does Paul show our judgment of others indicates us for our own wrongdoing? Repeat that one more time. How does Paul show our judgment of others and indicts us of our own wrongdoings? Amidst us of our own wrongdoings? Yeah. Mm. What does Paul say in verses 1 and 2? You are inexcusable. Yeah, you're condemning yourself. You're condemning right? yourself, yeah. Mm -hmm. You who pass judgment do the same thing. So mm -hmm. if we're saying so-and-so is doing such and such, more than likely, somewhere along the line, we're doing such, such and such, and such, and such, such. That's what we're doing. Or have such. done such yeah. and such, like the Bible says. Or will do such and such. Mm -hmm. right. Because yeah. a lot of people are, is, is, is a little confused about when, when they say judging. Yeah. Uh, uh, because they... they, they, they they don't understand the difference between God's judgment 
and man's judgment. Right. Uh, because, see, when we don't judge when God is judging, when the word of God is judging, it, 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 it's not us saying that we don't like this or you can't do this or you can't do this. It's the word of God says that you're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. You, 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 you don't do this and you don't do that. But when we take it upon ourselves and tell a person you need to live this way or you need to do this and you need to do that, we're judging them according to our standards, not the standard of God. Right. See, and that's the difference. And many a times we try to put our standards according to God's standards. And that's a lot of times we get the two mixed up in conflict of one another. And many people uh, uh, wants to put their standards above God's standards. They, they, they take God's standards and throw them away. And you need to live by my standards. Right. <laughs> you well, need to. see, God's standards is the law. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, His standards is the law. So, yeah. I mean, you know, even if we do it, yeah. you got to yeah. pay for it. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you're going to pay for it. And in God's standards, he always tells us that we need to work on us and yeah. leave everybody That's else right. alone. Yeah. And that goes along with the next part of the question. So where do you see judgment of others in your own life, and how does it affect you and your relationships? Well, 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 okay, let me tell you some of the, let me tell you some of the things, and, and I used to say, I would say something about somebody, ooh, look at that, such and such, and then about two weeks later, the same thing happened to me. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I'd be like, where's her teeth is? <laughs> and now people can ask where my teeth is. You understand? Where I'm going. You know, I'm being serious. And those are the things that have, that have happened. So when he say you're judging yourself, you yeah. absolutely are. It's, I thought you could not be laughing at you. When it when you laugh, what happened? You made that around like, oh, did I, baby? You, you decided you don't want to be a dentist no more as you saw your own Cause, let, let, let me tell this joke and we're going to go back. When he was a little baby, my sister used to make sure that she brought him to see me so that he knew his great aunt. And I was laughing and playing with him. I had gotten sick and I couldn't see and I walked into the door and it knocked my tooth out. And I was laughing and playing with him. And when I laughed and he saw that tooth missing, <laughs> it confused him so bad. He was like, <laughs> he was like, T, uh, where's your tooth? <laughs> and he told me he was going to be a dentist so he could fix my teeth. When I grow up, I'm going to be a dentist so I can fix them teeth. I said, well, baby, if that's why you're doing it. By the time you get grown, tea not gonna have no teeth anymore. <laughs> but that was funny. I, I love that story. I, I have told that story to people at work. Okay. Let's so get our back. judgment of others can affect our own personal yes, relationships. And yeah, because just with others. Yeah, because you 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 come to realize when the moment that you get involved in trying to tell others. And, and, and you get in a quiet place and realize that 
even some of the stuff you're trying to tell them, either you done done that or either you done done worse. Mm-hmm. Worse. And, and still doing mm-hmm. things that, 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 that puts them to, to make them a saint <laughs> compared right. to some of the stuff that you have done against Christ because you put Christ up on that cross. Yeah. It, it's you that put him on that cross. Regardless, forget about what they done done. Just think about the things that you did. That If Christ didn't come for nobody but you, you sent him on that cross. Yeah. It was you the reason that he went we to that cross. Yeah. We put him there. We put him there. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 that's enough to make make mm-hmm. you shut your mouth. It right there. Yeah. Shut your mouth because you, you you sent him there. Not everybody shuts yeah. their mouth. Yeah. You understand? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm going. I need to shut my mouth sometimes. <laughs> Cause I do. I, I I need to just shut up. Well, I called my sister about some things, but when I walked through the door, when I met you, I told you I said, Captain, I'm a work in progress, so you're gonna have to pray for me. Because I'm a woman of my word. If I tell you about me, that's me. You know. And so I, I still got a lot of work to be done on me, but I'm trying hard. Some some things don't let you. The devil. Oh, the devil's the mouse, ain't it? Let's question it on your paper. Somebody read verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, but in accordance with your hardness of your impentance heart you are treasuring up you are treasuring treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds so in the middle uh, of Paul's talk of wrath and judgment he makes a startling assertion in verse 4 God is rich in kindness, restraint, and patience, Mm -hmm. and that his kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. Mm -hmm. Why is it important to remember, even as we are warned of God's judgment, that he means for us to repent? Why is it important to remember, even even as we're warned of God's judgment, that he means for us to repent? Because repentance can hold off some of that wrath. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it, 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 it can. It doesn't mean that that that, that you won't be punished right. for 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 some of that wrong. Absolutely. It doesn't mean that, but it can hold off the wrath of right. God. There's a difference between the wrath and the punishment of, of, of your sins. Because, see, uh, there is that day. God, the Bible speaks of that day. And that day uh, of God's wrath uh, 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 is a terrible thing. That is a, a very terrible thing. And your repentance can can 
can can can take that day away from <laughs> you. He's gonna get that punch, uh, that little spanking, uh, uh, what he gonna get? That, 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 when he bring that wrath <laughs> on the Jesus Christ. He wants us to acknowledge that we've done something wrong. Yes. He wants us to bring it. He knows what we've yeah. done. Yeah. He already and we knows. He knows what his judgment is gonna be, but he wants us mm-hmm. to admit to give it. You a chance mm-hmm. to say. I swore today, and yeah. I'm laying about your yeah. feet today. I, and, and, I'm bringing that before for you, you yeah. to, to to push that wrath <laughs> off yes. of you. And now, if there's going to be a punishment for it, accept the punishment as 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 Moses had to do when he he couldn't go into the promised land, yes. but he could accept. The idea of being who he was with Christ. Well, you can tell that I felt convicted then because what Captain said, I thought he was looking right at me when he was like, I swore today. <laughs> I was just. <laughs> so that's me feeling convicted. Because <laughs> I will. I have. You know, like he said, I have sworn today. So would you say that God is patient with us as far Ooh. as allowing us time yes. to repent? Because He can just say, "Yeah, oh yeah, done. oh and yeah." And He give us chance after chance after yeah. chance because He's slow to anger. Yeah, and we learned. And he, uh, yeah. we learned about that with Jonah, right? Yeah. yeah, because He brings on the conviction in our heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, that conviction can, can can linger with us for a while. Yeah. <laughs> When he bring that conviction on, that don't mean you're going to get the conviction for five minutes. Right. Yeah. And, and the conviction going to go away. Sometimes that conviction will come on you, and you go to dreaming <laughs> about things, and it wakes you up. Right. You In a cold sweat, mm-hmm. you you be thinking about it while you're doing stuff at, at home and stuff. That stuff be on you heavy and carrying on, oh, yeah. and all all, all day long, night. all night, all day, and everything. For a month or two. two and two. Until you go to God and repent of that thing. Right. You know. But you know, I, you go to God and you repent. And then you do the same thing tomorrow. And the same thing the day after that and day after that. So, so God re- knows your heart though. Yeah. Because okay. like I was telling Carrington, mm-hmm. I said, you know, God see your heart. Mm-hmm. I said, and I don't care if it's something you do a year from now. He already okay. know you're going to do it. Right. A lot of people be, well, I, I repented. Or, well, I'm going to repent. God knows that that repentance from the heart is not true repentance. Mm-hmm. Right. So you would never forgive him for that sin because he know you just trying them. You know, right. a lot of people think that they could really fool God. Uh, and we cannot. No, well, saying, get okay, I'm going to sin today. I'm going to do this, this, and this. Right, right. Because tonight I'm going to ask for repentance. Right. Now that's. Right. That's something else. But, but when that Holy Ghost, when that Holy Ghost conviction falls yeah. upon you, yeah. you don't have to. There, there won't be none of that fly by night right. repentance. Because when that Holy Ghost conviction come upon you, you you underneath the wrath of God right then and there, mm-hmm. and then you are in you are indeed in trouble. <laughs> Because God's wrath is about to fall upon you. So you either going, as Jonah did, you either going to flee, <laughs> try to get away, yep. or you going to do what God tell you to do. 
you're going to do what God tells you to do or you're going to fall under the wrath of God. And, 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 and what people try to do, they try to set up God. They want to set God up. Well, God, I'm going to do my, what I wants to do. Then I'm going to set you up for you to forgive me. You can't set God up. Right. <laughs> That's one thing you would never be able to do is set God up. I mean, yeah, you know, it's it's just like that. Mm -hmm. I uh, sometimes I go off as a person that's around that likes to call me out my name, but he won't say it to me because he says hearsay. So he'll call my sister, and he calls me. This is a white man, and he calls me gorillas, monkeys. <laughs> Somehow. His father's supposed to be a pastor and got a hold of a picture of me and had a game at one of their barbecues called Pin the Banana <laughs> on the Monkey. I mean, I'm sorry. Don't it laugh. I mean, oh, just, yeah, you crazy. know, but I, I, I'm just telling you. And then I <laughs> Because then I start giving him the same thing. <laughs> and I start Because I have to defend myself. Do you understand what yeah. I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But... How does God look at that, though, yeah. when I'm defending myself? Because this is acid on this tongue once uh -huh. you make it come off. And that's something I tell my sister all the time. I'm trying to clean up. I'm trying to clean up. But this person will not let me clean it up. He has talked under my clothes to my brother-in-law, my sister's husband. Well, I figured he shouldn't have been listening to it anyway. You might not be able to tell him what to say, but you don't have to listen to it. Right. Click. Because that's my wife's sister. I don't want to hear it. Click. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to defend myself by any means necessary. I'm supposed to. Yes. The Bible tells us uh, we can be angry. He say, be ye angry, but sin it's not. Well, I was sin it when I got the new <laughs> And that's what I'm saying now. He's going to handle me because when I let that tongue go, it's acid on that tongue and power in my fist. Yeah. Okay. People look at me, oh, that's a little old lady. She's 65 years old. Guess what? Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm saying. I have to defend myself. You're racist. You don't think you're racist? A white man, a white woman that walks up to me and call me a gorilla, you know it's a racial slur when you say it. And you intend it for it to be one. And I get so angry that I can pee fire and boo-boo bullets. Sorry. Pee fire and boo-boo bullets and it just be some big explosions going on. Around just a mess. Yes, you know because I get that angry. I do. I get that angry. Look at the next question. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Come on, Kathy. I'm sorry. Don't whisper to my sister and tell her don't bring me back. Don't do all Well, you in the right place. That's right. See, the, the yeah, church please. is a hospital for sick people. And I'm a and I'm not calling right you. Right you know what I'm I saying. Am. Exactly you know, what you're I'm talking about right. I'm not calling you, but I'm just yeah, saying. And this. I am yeah. a sick person because I let that uh, 
acid tongue come out. I let the devil provoke me. Here's verses 5 through 10. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. Mm -hmm. And his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who have been persistent by doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who have self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be a wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being that does evil. First, the Jew and the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile. So here, Paul urges us in verses 5 through 10 that there are only two possible outcomes. We either receive eternal life or receive God's wrath and anger. So what does Paul say about God's concern for justice and holiness that he judges not just our behavior? Oops, I went to the wrong. I'm reading two questions at one time. What does Paul say qualifies someone to receive eternal life? What do what? What does Paul say qualifies someone to receive eternal life? To receive Christ. Yeah. Well, how do you receive Christ? We have to be persistent in seeking him. We have to mm-hmm. be persistent in our repentance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You just can't glory. say that I've, I've taken Christ as my Savior and then go on and do what you want to do. Right, right. No, no. So thing. what's the opposite? No. What qualifies someone for receiving God's wrath and anger? The rejection. The rejection, yes. They follow the evil side, right? Uh-huh. The rejection. Yes. Mm-hmm. For those who are self-seeking and reject the truth, follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. So it tells us right here in Romans that if you're good and you do what's right and you follow God and you seek after God, you will have eternal life. Yeah. But if you are persistent and reject the word, reject what God has given you, and do the evil things, you are going to suffer <laughs> wrath and anger. <laughs> you are. But some people think that they're exempt from that. Right. Yeah. They, 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 they do. Yeah. Um, that won't happen to me. Okay. <laughs> well, if you do the same thing that the other person is doing, you go get what they get, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. They're blinded. The Bible says that the adversary will blind them. Mm-hmm. Spiritually blind them. Yeah. Yeah. Pam, are you able to read uh, 12 and 13? Um, For as many as sin without law shall also perish without law. Mm -hmm. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Yeah, so here he introduces the law, the commands that gives, uh, is given to the Israelites in the Old Testament, and into the conversation. So the question is, why is merely hearing the law not enough to make us righteous before God? I mean, that's just like somebody saying, um, mm. 
He robbed that bank yesterday and then you go rob it. You understand what I'm saying here? And uh, just, just hearing the law is not enough that's because what I'm saying. you must you be a doer. Do you must be a doer yeah, right. right. of what you hear and practice it. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't just hear it. So you can't just come here right. on Sundays and listen to me talk or listen to JD talk or listen to Derek talk or whoever and then go out into the world and do the total opposite. You're expected to take what you learn and then go do mm -hmm. what you want. What you, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really. Because what you want. That's And I'm guilty. Yeah. I'm, I'm guilty as charged because I let the devil provoke me and that's what I do. Okay, so doing good over here <clears throat> and doing bad over here. Mm -hmm. It's not doing any good. Right, it's not doing any. Right, it's not doing any good. Your body has, but your body has with yourself. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I say pray for Deborah, though. I Deborah asked for prayer. That's right. <laughs> and Deborah do a lot of praying. So we have to be doers of the law. We can't mm -hmm. be going against what God has called. But we're we not supposed to, to judge people. We're not supposed to. We're not a judge at all. But we do. But yeah, we criticize we, we people. Like we we taking God's place right now. Yeah, we we, we criticize we people. Yeah. We judge people. You know, you have some people that mm, look at and turn their nose up because they think they're better than you are. Now, and I tell people, honey, we're all God's children. I don't uh, think you're any better than I am. You may have more than I have. But you're not more than I am. Not in God's eyes. And it's a reason for everything. It's a reason I'm a poor girl and you're a rich man. I don't ask why, because God knows why. You understand what I'm saying here? Mm -hmm. You're not more than I am. Go ahead, Captain. I'm sorry. I'm not going to take your class <laughs> over. <I'm wrong. laughs> When did you obey what you perceived to be moral law without knowing God's law? Mm -hmm. Was there a time that you obeyed the law without even knowing it? I obeyed the law and not knowing it. Oh, yeah. Well, I think sometimes yeah. that's really within a person's heart to just try to do right. You know what I'm saying? So that's like trying to say, well, I know this is not the right way to live so I want to live a decent way because I know a lot of people right now that they are unsaved they've never asked Christ to be their Lord and Savior but you, I have seen unsaved people live more decent lives than some people so they, that mm -hmm. claim to be saved mm -hmm. I really have so I think it's really in just if you don't know it's just in practicing to try to be a decent human being sometimes not knowing that you're do, doing what God wants you to do I know before I got saved, and I, we got saved at an early age, but it's, that's what it was about with me, just trying my best to do what was right, yeah. that I knew was wrong. I didn't want to break no laws or do nothing like that, but, so. Yeah, yeah and I, I, I really don't want to. That's why I have to do a lot of praying to stay to myself, though. <laughs> yeah, no, really. Yeah. Because I, I, I honestly don't bother anybody 
but I have to defend me, take care of myself. But, you know, and, and I stay to myself because I tell people, I talk to my sister, talk to my brother twice a week. And my best friend, because my mother's always tell us that seldom business make better friends. So my two best friends, I might talk to them today and not talk to them anymore for another two or three months. But it's not a time that I could call one of them and I can't get their help and the same thing here. Yeah. You know, so. All right, so y'all look here, it's bleak. No matter, no amount of religious obedience, law-abiding, or rule-following will give us the thing we most deeply need, righteousness before God. Mm -hmm. All attempts to earn the right standing with God on our own fall short. We don't need, we don't need to buckle down and try harder. The remedy to cease our striving and receive the transforming grace of Christ through faith and the new heart He promises. No religious ritual can re transform our hearts. God is the only one who can transform us. Yep. Amen. So. Then that's the truth. Yeah. That's the truth. But when God do. So there was lots of important does. things there. That's why I didn't want to stop at mm -hmm. the first question last Sunday. I wanted to finish this out. So there's still a lot of important things. And there's still yeah, some important things in there. So. Uh, continue to review that, and then uh, next week we'll go to chapter three, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah chapter three. One through twenty. So. All right. All right. All right. Father God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord. And Lord, we just pray that we grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Father God, as we go forth today, Lord, we just pray that we be hearers of you. Not only hearers, but doers of your word. And Lord, we pray that the speaker today be anointed by your, by your spirit, Lord, and just let him come forth with your word, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.